The bombshell interview between Oprah Winfrey and the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, Harry and Meghan, cast damning allegations on the royal family. The pair most notably revealed that comments were made on the skin color of their son Archie and that Meghan was prevented from seeking mental health treatment. The interview garnered wide reaction around the world and reopened a long-simmering debate in Canada. What to do with the monarchy? I'm Dave Breckenridge and this is 10-3. Josh Trapdow with the Monarchist League of Canada joins me to discuss why the interview was so important, how it impacts the perception of the royal family as a whole, and why dropping the monarchy in Canada is not as easy as some think. Don't forget you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So Josh... Big interview last Sunday. Oprah Winfrey, Meghan Markle, Prince Harry kind of took the world by storm. What did you think of the interview? Well, it was definitely a bombshell interview. One of those interviews that I think people will remember for a very long time. And I think it raised a number of very serious issues that the royal family is is going to need to address. Reaction was kind of coming in from all over the world especially pundits in the United States criticizing Meghan and Harry. You had the debates start up in Canada again about the monarchy in general, but like a lot of the reaction, like it was time to cancel the monarchy. No one is surprised to hear that the royal family is racist. How dare the two of them do the interview? And even, you know, let's make Harry our governor general or our king. Why do you suppose that it's so polarizing and so wide ranging? Because I think it's it's the royal family, and I think we've seen that basically for generations from when when the Duke of, of Windsor abdicated to marry Wallace Simpson. You know, it was probably similar debates of, you know, well, why can't he marry Wallace Simpson? Who cares that she's divorced? You know, when you had the Statue of Westminster in 1931 that gave the Dominions at the time more control over their foreign affairs. I mean, in World War One, we were at war as soon as United Kingdom had declared war. World War II, we declared war separately from the United Kingdom. So I don't think any of these conversations are new. The context is just very different from how they have been in the past. And as you mentioned, this is, you know, bombshell allegations made in this interview by Meghan and Harry and talk of racism, talk of trying to prevent Meghan Markle from getting mental health care. What do you think an interview like this does for the perception of the monarchy in this country? It doesn't help, but people knew that there was racism towards Meghan Markle. I mean, I think it was back in 2017 when Princess Michael of Kent wore a racist brooch to the luncheon that the Queen had hosted for Meghan just around their engagement. So I think everyone knew about these allegations and the Duke and Duchess of Sussex simply confirmed them. And and in the statement from Buckingham Palace yesterday, you know, they said they're very serious allegations and they will be addressing them with members of the royal family. So people may not like what the palace has done. They think maybe the palace should be more open and, and transparent about how they're going to deal with this. But it's that fine line of, you know, family and monarchy and, and the royal family and the monarchy are two separate entities. And I think sometimes people forget that, mm -hmm. you know, there is this family that have 
their challenges. And then there is the monarchy, which is the queen. And unfortunately, when we have the monarchy, we then also get the royal family. So we get the best of the worst sometimes when it comes with the entire royal family. And, you know, the fact that we are a constitutional monarchy in Canada. Ultimately, does this interview matter in the grand scheme of things? Or is this the kind of thing where, you know, a couple of weeks down the road, a lot of people will have moved on? I think it will matter for those that are passionate about changing the way that Canada operates. You know, I think to a lot of people, the idea of monarchy is outdated, it's colonialism, and those types of conversations. And I think those are good conversations for us to be having in a time of reconciliation and Black Lives Matter and just the entire world has changed in even the last five years. But I think in the grand scheme of things, there will just be something else that's going to come along that is just going to grab people's attention and they'll be on to the next, you know, more shiny, bright, exciting thing. Looking at the perception of the monarchy in Canada, depending on the circumstances and the time, the popularity of having a monarchy in Canada ranges and it varies, depends on who you're talking about. People love Queen Elizabeth. They aren't as big on Prince Charles and William, Duke of Cambridge, holds support. Like, do you think the interview changes any of that? It's hard to say. I mean, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex were very clear that they still, you know, very much hold admiration and respect for the Queen. And I believe Ms. Winfrey had clarified that it was not the Queen or Duke of Edinburgh uh, that had made those questions around the skin color of their son, Archie. But I think, again, it calls into people's question about whether or not they want Charles as king. I mean, we saw that with the divorce of Princess Diana, the remarrying to the Duchess of Cornwall in the mid-2000s. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Charles, I think, had been doing a good job about rehabilitating his image. But I think this could potentially set back a great deal of time and how people have thought of him as a future king. And and this is a man that has spent his entire life in training. I believe he is the longest serving Prince of Wales behind (laughs) King Edward VII, who was the son of Queen Victoria. And of course, Queen Victoria was the second longest reigning monarch. So it makes sense that her Prince of Wales uh, would have been the second longest uh, serving And we now have Queen Elizabeth, who in a couple of years will be hitting her her platinum jubilee if she still is alive. But I mean, she comes from good genes from from the Queen Mother, who I think lived to 101 before she had passed away in 2002. In a poll last month, there was a large number of people that do want to see William take the crown as opposed to his father, the Prince of Wales. Do you think that Charles would abdicate the throne? It's hard to say. Again, this is a man that has spent his entire life training to be the monarch. You know, I think he has a different view of what monarchy will be like. He's already said, you know, he's going to just streamline and slim down, you know, who is a working royal. Um, You know, we see the queen, you know, like her cousins, the Duke of Gloucester, the Duke of Kent, Princess Alexander, you know, they all represent the queen uh, as working royals. Mm -hmm. In Charles' world, it was literally just going to be the children of the sovereign. But now that the Duke and Duchess of Sussex have said, you know, we don't want to be working royals, it can't just be left to the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, who also have three very young children. So 
you know, I think Prince Charles is going to have to perhaps rely on Princess Anne and Prince Edward, who are current working royals, to help kind of spread that workload, given that only the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge will likely be working royals as the son of the sovereign when Prince Charles comes to the throne. I think we'll probably find ourselves in a similar situation that when King Edward VII came to the throne, he only reigned, I think, for nine nine or ten years, from 1901 until 1910, just because of the age that he was. And, you know, we could potentially see a very similar, similar situation mm-hmm. with Prince Charles. But I think he also maybe wants to give some time to William and Kate for their children to get a, a little bit older before, you know, they become king and queen and, and Prince George, you know, then becomes the... The, the heir apparent as, as an eventual Prince of Wales. Now, in that same poll that was released last month, the desire to drop the monarchy in Canada reached new highs, with about 45% wanting an elected head of state. Why do you suppose we're kind of at a point where you're seeing that number go up? I think people, you know, have a great affection and respect for Queen Elizabeth she gets later on in her years, I think people are starting to think like, well, maybe when she passes on, like maybe now is a good time to have that conversation about having an elected head of state. But what I don't think people realize is that it would be extremely challenging to actually move to an elected head of state. I was reading an article that said that In the United Kingdom, all it would take is for Parliament, the House of Commons and the House of Lords, to basically vote in favor of no longer having a monarchy. In Canada, it would require all of the provinces, all of the territories, and Parliament to agree to remove the office of the Queen from the Constitution. And I think if provinces are being asked to do that, I think they're going to ask for a lot of other constitutional changes if the the country is going to go down that road of constitutional reform. And I think the last time we went down that road with Charlottetown Accord and Meachlake Accord, I think perhaps politicians are a bit gun shy about constitutional reform, just given how challenging and, and polarizing it really can be. But even on that same token, the British royal family does not have to be the royal family that sits on the throne. You know, the government could go out and find a different royal family, or they could maybe appoint a member of the royal family to carry on as just the distinct kingdom of Canada, where they're not the sovereign of the 16 other or so realms that are in the country. So it's somewhat of a predicament that the country finds itself in. Is it possible for Canada to say, okay, we're still going to be a constitutional monarchy, but we want the people to decide who represents the Queen in Canada, so we're going to elect somebody as opposed to the process that's in place now? Like, is is there a halfway measure for us to make some change to how the monarchy is represented here? That's a good question, and I'm actually not sure the answer to that, because I'm trying to think if there are other examples within the Commonwealth of, say, like the governor general that is elected. And I can't think of one. So I'm I'm not entirely sure. I don't know if that would be something that the Supreme Court would be asked to rule on or whether or not that's also embedded in the Constitution. And part of me feels like it's embedded in the Constitution, just based on the fact when previous Prime Minister Harper wanted to go down the path of an elected Senate. And I think the Supreme Court told him that he would have to go and amend the Constitution. I don't think it's a unique 
unanimous consent, but I think they would still need 50% of the population uh, to still make that amendment to move to an elected Senate. So part of me thinks that if you're going to move to an elected governor general, you probably would still require some kind of constitutional reform. It may not be as big as unanimous consent, but I think you probably still have to go down that path of amending the constitution where the provinces that have 50% of the population would likely have to agree to that amendment. Mm -hmm. But I think there's other ways at looking at how we could uh, have a different governor general. And I think previous Prime Minister Harper had an advisory committee that had chosen David Johnson. And it was chaired at the time by the secretary of the governor general, who was Sheila Marie Cook. And I had the the privilege to get to know her over the last couple of years before she had passed away late last year. And they went through a process with constitutional experts and eminent Canadians to come up with a shortlist of people that they thought were qualified to be governor general. And right, the role of the governor general is to represent the queen, to, you know, represent Canadians around the world as our, essentially our, our head of state, and to also then keep the government in check with what I like to refer as the fire extinguisher of constitutional power and authority. And they came up with David Johnson. And I think, you know, everyone is in agreement that David Johnson was an excellent governor general. He understood his role of both being a patron of organizations to representing Canadians abroad to recognizing Canadians through the Order of Canada and the various uh, orders and, and decorations that Rideau Hall has. Then the current prime minister went away with that committee on vice real appointments and went back to the old system where simply the, the prime minister makes the recommendation to the queen. The queen signs off on it. And, and that's how we ended up with Ms. Payette as our governor general. And I think lots of people would say that that system did not work in the appointment of Ms. Payette. Do you feel that the perception of the monarchy in Canada has taken a hit because of the controversy surrounding Ms. Payette? Absolutely. I mean, it absolutely has impacted because you have the governor general, who is the queen's representative, being accused of some very serious allegations. And then you having her resign. And that's never happened before. We've never had a governor general resign before. We've had governor generals, you know, maybe leave office a bit earlier because of their health or other things. Mm -hmm. But that was, you know, in a conversation with the government, uh, a successor had been announced and that kind of stuff. Now we find ourselves in a situation where the chief justice of the Supreme Court is now the administrator of Canada, while the government is trying to figure out who the next governor general is going to be. And I'm honestly kind of surprised that they have not made an announcement as to who the next governor general is going to be. To me, that would have been one of the priorities. And I know they have a number of priorities right now between COVID and the allegations of sexual harassment at the chief of the defense staff and and everything that's going on. But um, I would have thought that the prime minister would have tasked Minister LeBlanc as the minister of intergovernmental affairs and the president of the Privy Council to say, hey, we need to really fill this position quickly. So I'm surprised that they didn't do this now, because I think now when they announce that appointment, it's just it's more 
fodder for people to say, well, why do we still need the position of governor general? So when they announce it, uh, we'll probably be having more conversations about, well, why do we need the position of governor general? Why do we need the the monarchy? So I think it will just continue to percolate um, in people's minds. Not that that's a bad thing. I think it's always good when Canadians have conversations about who we are as a country and, and what our values are. But what I would like to see is that distinction between the royal family as, you know, a family onto themselves and the monarchy, which is what we have in Canada as a constitutional monarchy. But I think, unfortunately, the, the two will become very blended and it will be one and the same when people are talking about what constitutional reform in Canada might look like. But I think it's also interesting that the prime minister has said, you know, he's not really interested in having that conversation right now. So I don't think we're going to see the Conservative Party of Canada being a champion of constitutional reform. We've always known that the, the Bloc Quebecois is not in favor of our, our current system. And even the NDP, it's been hit and miss on their leaders as to whether or not they believe that we should no longer have a constitutional monarchy in our country. The Queen issued a statement expressing concern and shock about some of the allegations that were made and talked about investigating who said what and trying to get to the bottom of it. Do you think that we will hear more from Buckingham Palace on the issue in the near term, or will they step back and let some of the inner machinations of the palace work to get to the bottom of some of these things and we may hear something down the road? I don't think we're going to hear anything in the immediate future. I think the statement from the Queen was very clear that they take these allegations very seriously and they will be investigating them and taking action privately as a family. And I don't think that we'll see any other formal communications from the palace regarding this. You know, we might hear anonymous sources or people that have heard things through, you know, the whisper campaign. But I think that's probably to the extent that we will hear unless the Duke and Duchess decide to actually outright name the individuals that they have said, said these things regarding the, the skin color of their son. I think that's the only possible way that we would see absolute action from the palace if those individuals were publicly named. But I think given the interview and the Duke saying, you know, that he's not interested in naming those individuals, I don't think we'll probably see any formal future communication coming out of Buckingham Palace. Well, it is definitely a fascinating discussion on an issue that many Canadians forget holds great stake for them. Josh, thanks for your time. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. 10.3 is produced by Sean Knox. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Josh Traptow. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.